Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is Jamie Klingler, born and raised in Philadelphia and has lived in London for almost 20 years working in publishing and events. She's a writer, activist, keynote speaker. She speaks and campaigns for women's safety. In December, she was named number nine in the UK Communicators of 2021 by PR Week for her work with Reclaim These Streets. In this part one of the episode, we discuss Jamie's life transformation over the lockdown period where she gave up drinking and overhauled her life. In her words in The Guardian, she gave up booze, took up running and found the strength and stamina to fight for a better future. In part two of this episode, we're going to discuss her brilliant work as co-founder of Reclaim These Streets, a group formed to remember Sarah Everard and campaigns for women's safety, that the world should be safe for women, regardless of what they wear, where they walk or what time of day or night it is. And in 2021, Jamie was featured in over 300 interviews, including the BBC, Sky, Times Radio and more, talking about the activism she's doing and women's safety and how Reclaim These Streets came about. I'm fascinated by Jamie's story, how she speaks about her big lifestyle change enabled her to also do more work in this space that she's passionate about. And it's really inspiring to hear all about it. Don't forget to check out part two as well. And I hope you enjoy listening to this one. I am so excited to be in person with the lovely Jamie. I've known you for so long. I was thinking on the walk here that I think it's coming up to like 10 years that we first met. I think so. This is so special. Exciting. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. You're so good at bringing people together because I think when we met, I can't really remember how or why or when really, but you brought together a group of writers. And I don't think I was even writing yet. I think I was trying to leave my job. And Was that Chow Bella? Yeah. And I think... That is such a big part of your personality. Like, you're so good at bringing people together. So thank you for that. I just like to be the center of attention. If everybody knows me, then everyone, <laughs> everyone then, the, then the conversation circles back to my dog and I'm happy. <laughs> um, but I have watched you also go through such change over the last few years. And obviously the world has changed and so much has changed. But it's been really inspiring. And I know that word is overused, but I really mean it. And it's just so amazing what you've done and things you've tried and experimented with. And I think... You know, you, it really is quite contagious watching you in this space and taking up so much space. So, for the listeners, I really wanted to touch on this in this first part of the episode around how, you know, the pandemic and reflecting on, you know, things that you were going through helped you transform your life. Could you paint a picture of that sort of, you know, the lockdown? You were ill, you were drinking, things were going on. Yeah. And, and, and now if you, cause you've had that much time to think back on everything and, and I've talked about it a lot and I've written about it a lot, but, um, basically I had been at a job for 10 years, um, as my mom had terminal cancer for six of, or the last two years, I guess I was at the job, but she was dying for like six years and being an expat and, and having someone home that's dying and being here and not moving home was, was quite a rough thing. I was straddling two worlds. And if my life wasn't absolutely perfect and amazing and glamorous here, then why the hell didn't I just go home? And I know you and I've talked about this before, but also being child-free by choice, which in my everyday, I was totally confident about and I was good about. But when my mom was dying and I had this magazine career and I had no children and I wasn't married, it was like, well, why isn't she here? Like my family was so critical about 
well, she doesn't even have kids. She could just come back. And that that choice became almost I was like, had to really defend it, but also had to be like, just because I don't have kids doesn't mean I don't have a life. But then trying to defend that I had such a good life meant that I was kind of pretending that everything was fine when it really wasn't. Mm -hmm. And what was fun drinking and partying when I was younger then turned into habit and just doing it all the time and not having fun anymore. And it was like, I have to be having fun if I'm if I'm staying in, in London. I have to keep having fun. And when it wasn't fun, I just didn't, like a lot of people had matured and gone and done other things or moved on in their lives. And I was just still in that rut of being in Camden, being at the Holy Arms, partying, partying, partying. And I was getting older and older and the people I was hanging out with were getting younger, but I hadn't matured or I hadn't moved out of that space. Mm, so interesting that, that people do say from women I've interviewed around ch child free by choice, that sometimes you do feel like you have to over justify other areas of your life, which is ridiculous. You don't have to have an amazing career if you don't want kids. It's all a, a matter of choice. But I know in articles, you've described yourself as an extrovert. And that is something that is so brilliant about the work you're doing at the moment. But did you find that that habit that you fell into was actually quite hard to see when you were in it then? Well, now that I look back at it and I look at days where I had I had breakfast, lunch and dinner at restaurants, I had I had meetings every minute of every day and I am I I was high functioning at any like drinking, but I was high functioning constantly and it was like I used to be like, oh, I can't be an alcoholic because I never drink by myself, but I don't do anything by myself. Like I was out 6 7 nights a week and it didn't matter who I was out with. So like I'm I really I love <laughs> I love being an extrovert and I love people, but like if you're getting all of your energy from other people, it doesn't really work in a global pandemic when you're not allowed out. Mm. So the biggest thing that changed over the pandemic for me and, and everything has changed is that like I really do enjoy time by myself and I don't say yes to everything anymore and I don't want back to back to back to back to back. Um, and learning to be by myself took 42 years but it's it's the biggest change of anything about me. Mm. Um, when I was talking about looking at doing a book over my last year, because um, for listeners, I quit drinking and at the beginning of the first lockdown. And then six months later, I took up running. And then a month after that, I guess, but for another year, I lost seven stone. So it was it was tons of huge, huge life changes. And then I founded Reclaim These Streets nine months after that. Um so all of these huge changes that the real thing that changed is being able to spend some time with my thoughts and myself. Mm, for sure. To me, it's just this person that I see before me now who likes spending time by yourself. You're in control of your day. And to be honest, it just sounds like you're happier. And and, and like, I know we haven't spent a lot of time in person together, but like, I'm so excited to see you. And, and I really am. And the last time I think I saw you was at the um, Women's Prize announcement last year. And it was a big party and I didn't have a drink in my hand and I was so excited to meet people and people asked me to go to the pub afterwards and I was like I'm good I'm gonna go home now and like I wake up in the morning with no shame and dread and with no acid reflux and like and and that's kind of the thing is I don't wake up and think oh my god what what did I say or do last night or who's mad at me or Ugh, like there's just there's not unexplained bruises there's not a hangover there's not, and there's a clarity of thought and intention and excitedness about what's going to happen this week even you know mm -hmm. and I still I still over plan I still have a million things every week but but there's much more 
openness and excitingness. And when I meet someone new, I'm listening to who they are and what they're about. And I'm not just like on a million miles an hour about mm-hmm. myself. Because mm. I know that you read Catherine Gray's book, didn't you? I did. I can't remember the name of it uh, now. The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober. That's it. And I've interviewed Catherine before and I find her amazing. And, and the thing that she said that really stood out to me was just how much brain space she got back. Because if you're not worrying about what other people are thinking of you or what you did or what you said that just opens up like a huge part of your life. Absolutely. And and she was very much an introvert who drank to be extroverted. Um, and me not drinking has just changed my level of interactions. But I'm still standing on chairs and singing and dancing. And um, one of my friends who was our compare for our seafood festival, she was like, I want to go dancing, but I didn't know if you'd still be up for it. And I was like, I am 100%. <laughs> and that's the thing is like, I'm 100% up for dancing, but I'm bringing I'm I'm not wearing heels while I'm doing it anymore cuz I just don't care. But like I'm I'm in that space where I still want to go out. I just I usually leave by 10 o'clock. So it's it's but it's like it's deciding who I want to hang out with and who I don't and how much time I want to spend with them. And that's kind of more about it, but it's it's very much I think some of my fear about not drinking or quitting drinking was this mythology around the fact that if you go you have to change your partner. You have to change all. You have to change all your friends, and that you can never go in a pub again. And like American sports are my thing. <laughs> like, but I still read in the pub. I still like. I like that cultural center of community thing. And I'm still in the middle of that. I just do it with a diet coke. Mm, that's so great to hear. Because I interviewed Ruby Warrington once, who wrote the Sober Curious book. She was saying that sometimes when the alcohol goes away, you are actually sat with your feelings more and you have to feel them more deeply. How has that been? Because, you know, your job is very high pressured, which we'll talk about later, but that you're not numbing anything out now. Rough. And, and, And the beginning of it was really rough. And the thing I found the hardest about deciding to quit was I felt like it was something else I could fail at. And I felt like, and, and, and I, I am an oversharer, you know that, but, um, I felt like, if I failed at it, that there was no going back. Like if I like it was a one and done. And if I tried and I didn't do it well. Um, but in actuality, I didn't talk about it outside of my best friend Gina and my boyfriend at the time, Johnny, um, for that first like month and a half. And I didn't speak about it. I didn't tweet about it. And I tweet about everything. Um, just because I gave myself that time to do it. And then once pu- or once uh, pubs were about to start opening again, I was like, eh, maybe I'll give it another 30 days just to recalibrate because I was going to be the exceptional one. American exceptionalism is is something new. But um, that I was going to be the one that could recalibrate, that could become moderate. Um, and then I sent a picture to my best friend, Gina, and she sent it back to me with a side by side of a of a really bad picture of me, and uh, was like, "I want you to see what everyone else is seeing. I need you to see this." And that was kind of so crazy how how clearer my eyes were and my face looked. And I hadn't lost any weight. This was just clarity um, and less capillaries and stuff. And I sent it to a friend that was the creative director at U Magazine. I was like, "Hey, do you want me to write about this?" And really, I learned that my accountability factor is huge. So as soon as I published about being a party girl that quit drinking in lockdown, it was kind of like the light switch thing. Like, I'll never be a hypocrite. So I just I've never had another drink. I've mm. never picked up another drink. And and I used up my I used up my credits. It's it's not this big defining thing. It's not something I have to talk about every day. Um, and if the program works for the people, it does. I've never gone to a meeting. I just I kind of found my way. And there's just nothing that it brings back to me anymore. Like, it's not like I look at wine and I'm like, oh, that's going to like, that could be a great night tonight. I'm kind of like, 
I know that if I had a glass of wine, I wouldn't be back to where I was in terms of grief and in terms of psychology stuff. But if I've bundled it that way and it's working for my brain, let's go for it. And, you know, caveat to anyone listening, I'm not necessarily making this a kind of no one must drink episode, Mm -hmm. but I'm really changing my relationship with it. I don't know if it's serving me anymore. And I don't know if I have the time or space or capacity to be hungover anymore. Waking up in the morning and having energy is like a just a better outcome right now for my life. And and for anyone listening who just is curious, I mean, for me, I'm just like taking it a day at a time and just like seeing how I feel and not trying to put too much pressure on myself. But for you, was it that? Was it a day at a time thing? No. I Once I spoke to him, like the doctor that New Magazine made me speak to was like, this is how people die. He was like, you should not have gone cold turkey when you're drinking the amount you were drinking. Um, and he was like, your heart gets used to a certain amount that it's working overtime to deal with right. that. And by quitting, it was not a good idea. Yeah. That way, he's like, but you've done the hard work. And he's like, you should never, ever pick up another glass. Wow. And and, then, and I know that we're talking about kind of two different things. Oh, yeah. Now, looking back at it, like, I get more, again, the attention seeker thing, but I get more attention from not drinking than I was at the time from everybody being like, you're drinking too much. You need to stop. You need to stop. And the albatross nature that I had become for people. Like, I, I would... I drank a lot every day, but I would basically go off a cliff and like cry all the time. And at one point I had gone to a doctor about my mood swings. It's about the sugar. It's about it's about the hangovers and the amount the amount I was drinking to get through that. And then but the thing about caring about yourself and caring about other people, like the 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 blanket of rose that I had around me all the time meant that I just wasn't. I like I wasn't letting the grief in. I wasn't letting anything in the and and leaving a job after 10 years there's lots of instability and there's lots of nervousness about going freelance and I was starting my own events company and then the pandemic and it was like if you're not feeling any of it and you're not caring about anything seriously and you're not really letting anything in you're just kind of sleepwalking through a lot of your life and that and I do very much feel like I've woken up mm-hmm. and that I'm and and a lot of it hurts too much you know a lot of it is but I've also had a lot more therapy and, and I'm awake for and alive for the therapy. Like I went to bereavement counseling after my mom died and I went to, I think, eight weeks of it. And I really liked the woman and I talked to her a lot, but like I didn't mention my drinking and I was drinking a lot and I was drinking every day. And it's like I was compartmentalizing that part of my life and it wasn't serving a purpose. You know, it. everybody that really loved me was really scared and really worried that I was damaging myself and and it was time. It was definitely time to stop. But it's amazing to me, like, what that has unleashed. Mm. It's amazing. And I'm very aware that on social media and even a before and after picture can paint this picture of like an overnight transformation. But this is this has happened over a, two years, a, two years. And it's really, it feels like that's way more gradual than what's in my head, kind of seeing you now. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is it was absolutely boring. Like the day in, day out, the walking every day, the the filling all those hours, the the cooking elaborate meals just for one. Um, I also ended an eight-year relationship and it it was absolutely boring. And it's the day in and day outs. But like when women, especially women, email me, I know how hard it is to write that email. I know how hard it is to actually say there is something that I really, 
want to work on, but that it's really, it's it's so personal and it's hard to say and it's hard to communicate about. So I spend so much time doing those check-ins with those women and saying, you've got this and talking to women about how much healthier I feel. So like on my scale, it's got this like, uh, your, I forget what it's called, your um, age based on your biometrics. And like my biometric age went down 10 years which is nuts in a year. And I did, I did like liver tests and my liver regenerated and my liver is at like a 91%. And like, I never, like, you can't worry about your biometric age if you don't want to be alive. And for a couple of years, I did not want to be alive. And that's where everybody was trying to get me out of that pit of despair. And it was, it was not a good space. Mm-hmm. And I was scared for myself. I was scared for my friends and the burden that I was putting on them. Mm-hmm. And I just don't feel like a burden to people anymore. And I feel like when I see people, I'm like, okay, this was great. And then I leave. And like my best friend Gina was like, yeah, when you used to invite me to lunch sometimes, I'd be like, oh, God, I'm going to have to babysit her all day. Mm-hmm. And like, gee, of all people, saved my life. And she's and like when we talk about it, she's like, all I wanted for so long is to have my beautiful Jamie back. And she's like, and now when you call me, I'm not like, oh, my God, what is this going to be? Uh, but that was really funny because when I got this Garmin watch that does for my running stuff, it has you put in your emergency contact. And then I was like clapping at American Sports and it told her there was an event and I didn't know how to stop it. And she was like, oh, my God, my heart would have stopped two years ago. If I if wow. I gotten that alert from your watch, I would have been like, oh, my God, she's dead. And now I was like, what is she doing? She She's like watching American Sports and like cheering too much. And now they think she's having a heart attack. <laughs> so but like what that did to her. And she's she's a mom. She's got her own life, her own job. And I had become that extra bit that she also was responsible for. And we were talking about Spice Girls this summer, and I was saying how old I was. And she was like, no, it must have come out at a different time in America because this was my age. And, like, she's four years younger than me, and we really didn't realize that because she's been my mom, because she's been that in in our relationship. She has carried me, and she was the main person that got me through my mother's death instead of my partner. And and that is too much to put on someone mm. and and not to be reciprocating. And I wasn't reciprocating. I wasn't I wasn't pulling my weight. I wasn't her support because I was so all involved in my own grief and my own state of mind. Wow. What a beautiful thing for your friendship to be able to be so honest about that and, and how amazing that she was such a great friend through all of that. But it's um thank you so much for sharing that because yeah, it's like you, you don't want to paint any transformation as easy either, and it has not been easy for you. So, no, it's and, important and to say it's the work. But this weekend was one of our mutual friends' birthday, and we both bought cards for each other because we met at her birthday thirteen years ago, and it's like our anniversary. So, yeah, Gina's basically my wife. Her her <laughs> partner knows that, so it's okay. So, I wanted to talk quickly about some of the stuff that you do share that is sort of solo self-care solo solo trip solo Jamie time like I'm a big fan of that I love going away by myself I just love going on a long walk sitting in a pub and you read so many books for anyone who just feels like they want to carve out a bit of time for themselves because I feel like you're you, you know you're the person to talk on this because you have gone from needing to be around people to like really learning how to be with yourself like what's a good first step do you think um a cute dog. <laughs> no, like everybody talks to you if you have a cute dog. Um, but but really, like I love I love good food and good book and and like just me. I like people watching. Um, I just I hate being with someone where I'm bored and I don't want to 
listen when I could people watch. So like I'd much rather have myself than somebody I really don't want to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but like doing that and reading, like I always read. So like I always had a million books on me. I'd always arrive 40 minutes early just so I could get some more reading time. And one of the things like one of the therapists that I was seeing was made me do was run without headphones, which I hate Ooh, once a week. And But I do it because she made me. She like unforced of death now. Um, but but it does she was saying that I was escaping so much into book characters' lives that I wasn't really spending any time to think about my own problems or stuff that I was grappling with. Um and thinking about the fact that we escape into other tragedies or lives of characters was was like an earthquake for me. Huh. It really made me think like, oh my God, this is I just replaced my own stress with book character stress all the time. Um, so actually having some time where I'm I, I've I've started listening to music more instead of just books all the time. And and like doing those tricks or doing um there was this weird thing where she made me check my heart rate for a week of like when I got calm. And the Asian supermarket in Camden is when I'm the calmest because it's big. It's always empty. And I have no idea what anything is. So I can spend an hour in there and just really escape, but but not with stress and not with characters, which is a really weird insight into my psychology. But no, that makes so much sense because I, I think there was an article I read ages ago about the psychology of being addicted to podcasts and how, I mean, people are listening to podcasts <laughs> right now, but... There, you know, there was someone in there saying that they would like have to listen to a podcast if they were taking the bin out, or if they had they had to listen to one if they were going to Sainsbury's, or, or even like you know the tiniest little chores around the house. And actually, there's something to be said there for maybe you can tip over into escaping your own thoughts too much. And and one of the things that I've done for the last like six years was track the number of books I was reading on Goodreads, and it, it was up to like 150 a year. Um, and then this year, with everything going on with work and the court case and everything else, I I was seeing how far behind I was and I took it off. And like even doing that, like actually that act of self-care, of not putting the timer on on how far behind I was on my reading schedule is a really good thing to do because I think sometimes we get caught up in our own mythology. And so when people are like, oh, my God, I need your list. How much have you read this year? And I'm like, oh, God, I really I just haven't had the attention span. And then I feel guilty and I feel like I'm not doing what I should do and I'm not living up to it. And this whole living the brand thing or the brand we create. Well, we're not always going to, and we're not always going to be good at it. And like, but the last time I hadn't read was right after my mom died. And I started really getting upset about the fact that I couldn't keep my attention in a book. And then I read some young adult fiction, um, books and chokers. Oh, Elle McNichol is my, is my go-to girl. Um, she writes about neurodivergent, really girls, they're like 13, 12. Um, but, but getting out of my normal ruts of reading and reading young, young adult is always a way for me to like find the love again and Donna Leone. So it's basically finding ways to take the pressure off and have hobbies again or have interests again rather than everything be a tick list. Yeah. And, and, and the expectations that you put on yourself, like the expectations I put on myself are so much higher than anybody would ever expect from me and, and learning how to just have those little earthquakes so that you feel better about yourself. So it's not this that you're you've got all these metrics because I I am I'm I'm a very goal setting or Virgo and once I say I'm going to do something it's all going to happen and it's all going to go. But I love that and I actually read recently psychologist that I love Martha Beck who is a sociologist she was saying that actually if you're trying to make any healthy change 
you should always reward yourself, even if that's verbally, never punish yourself. It's all about how punishment never works. And you have to, it's all about kind of that self-compassion and, you know, being kind to yourself. And I think because it's been such a big change and I was always the drunkest, the biggest and the loudest in the room. And now taking away all the booze makes me still loud, but not the loudest always. Um, because I've lost so much weight and because I'm not drinking, it's it's destabilizing for a lot of people, and especially women and weight. It's it's a minefield. Mm. And my decisions then become that I'm criticizing other people's and that I'm changing how and, and holding a mirror up to other people's decisions, which it was never about anybody else. It was really about my dependencies and my issues with how I was treating my body. Yeah. I eat more vegetables and I eat hard-boiled eggs and I eat a ton of protein. You know, like I, I'm very conscious of what I'm eating and how I'm eating now. And I run almost every day. And I still, like, I'm not – people are like, oh, let's do a marathon. And I'm like, I've still not run with another human. And I'm a bit scared to do that because I, like, I don't know if I'll go fast enough. I don't I, – I haven't had that metric against anybody but myself. And that's the weirdest thing is that these two years have been – it's been such – an internal looking two years for me. And it's been mm-hmm. such a singular, like the quitting drinking. I I literally just every day got up and didn't buy any more wine. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for that. And, you know, I completely agree with you that I just don't think anyone should comment on any other person's body. What people do with their own bodies is their business. But I, but on the whole, I'm just so glad to have spoken to you about what you've done to just make yourself your life better and like how much happier you are and how people can see that who know you. So that's really what um, I'm so glad that you shared that. Thank you. It's it's great to be here and and it's it's really nice to feel happy. Like it's really nice to want other people to get to a place where they're not obsessing about booze or obsessing about food or feeling like they don't have any control in those situations. And for me and the way my brain operates, CBT has been great for that. But I don't care how people do it. I don't care what tools. I don't care any way that you can just own that process or own those relationships with dependencies. And just so that you feel like you're you're driving the car instead of the other way around like I I'm not prescriptive about how anybody does it I just want people to know that you can be in control yeah and and it's it's like a lot of what I talk about is kind of what you're talking about but in the work context or in this idea of pausing when you're in something that's making you miserable and just not being in a situation where you look up in five years time and you felt like you couldn't make a change I feel like everyone can make a change in any area of their life and even and just looking inwards and starting small and doing what works for you. It's just great to see it in action. So thank you so much for that. For anyone listening, come over to part two of this episode. We're going to talk about Jamie and Reclaim These Streets, which is an incredible journey as well in itself. So head over there and we're going to talk about that. 